Welcome to True Transistor Radio. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hedrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 1618. Pride going before destruction. Truth Transistors, welcome to episode 6 of this podcast, where I will talk about evidence for Jesus Christ, and I have to tell you, I am beaten right now. I'm just dead tired, because I work outside, and it the high was 106, and I finished a gallon of water and it was probably only 2 o'clock in the noon, so I bought another one uh, at the store. <laughs> so, anyway, but, like, I didn't realize it was that hot, because last week it had cooled down a bit to the mid-90s. <laughs> and got back, and I guess this week climbed back up, and it is just exhausting, I tell you. So anyway, um, I passed a birthday last week and I reached 43 years old. And, you know, I'm actually feeling better because I've been doing this uh, program. And uh, this is not, I'm not being paid to do this. This is not an advertisement. But uh, I'm just telling you about it. It's a program called Optavia. And you can look up optavia.com. But it's um, it's a health program. It's not a diet. It's a lifelong change. And they give you a coach. And in my case, it's a friend of mine. So that's not too bad. Um, and the way it works is they send you... Um, the coach is supposed to keep you accountable and check on you every week and answer questions. But um, in the package, you get a, a couple of books. And I haven't been that good about studying the things. But they also, you can order snacks that have all the nutrients you need and um, that, are, that last like a month. And it's like five a day. You eat five of these snacks a day, and they're they're good, but they're sugar-free. They have all the nutrients you need. They're healthy. And, um, and then you have five snacks, and you're in charge of, like, one meal, and they tell you what you can have. But basically, it's like three-quarters of a plate of uh, greens uh, and some meat. Uh, and they tell you how many ounces or whatever um but the the five in one plan that's five snacks in one meal is the weight loss stage and i've lost 30 pounds since november and everybody that i've talked to that's done the program right has lost a lot of weight and it's not just losing weight that's you know step number one but then there's the four and two plan and the three and three. But basically, it also helps with other 
health conditions. And, you know, when people are worried about what's going on right now, health is, is very important. So anyway, I'm not getting paid to say this. This is just me telling you my experience, what I've been doing. And I would recommend um, checking that out if you want to be healthier. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there because it's it's been good for me. Um, so anyway, we're going to talk today about evidence for Jesus Christ. And this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, one of the, the next stage. I know there's several things that I've skipped. I went straight from the Exodus to this, but I feel like I hit, you know, a lot of the biggest things. I mean, if you can get past uh, creation and the flood and uh, the Exodus, then it's easy to believe that King David, you know, lived and that there was a Nineveh and things. I mean, there's other evidences, um, but I feel like I, I dealt with the harder ones. And then the life of Christ and the resurrection is another very important one. So that's going to be the next one uh, that we're going to do today. But before we do that, um, I know we've got football season coming up. And I'm going to play fake Jerry Jones, who's the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, predict the Cowboys season game by game. Okay, you open September 8th at Houston. Uh, give us a loss on this one. Uh, we're going to fall on our face right out of the box because uh, I think we'll have uh, uh, jitters. It'll be it'll it'll just be opening jitters. That, that's all it is. <laughs> okay, okay. Right. that's zero and one. Uh, all right, week two, home against Tennessee. Wait, I thought that was Houston. Oh no, Houston got a new team. Not, Tennessee uh, is the old well, Houston. I think that'll really confuse our team. So give us a loss. <laughs> All right, zero and two. Then you go uh, at Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Uh, well, we haven't won there since I had a face that looked like an alligator handbag. <laughs> oh my so, uh, gosh! They're a good team. That realistically, uh, and I don't like to speak realistically usually, but uh, give me give me a loss on that. Oh wow! Okay. All right, got them zero and three so far at St. Louis. This is gonna be a good. Uh, uh, give me a Q. 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 Give me a C. C. Give me an A. A. Give me an R. R. What's that spell? Q car. No, it spells loss. Give us a loss on that one, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, then you come home for a couple in October. The New York Giants would be up next. Let's see. Uh, that's toughy. Is Coach Joe still my special teams coach? You sure? Yeah, I think so. Loss. <laughs> okay. okay. Give us loss. All right. <laughs> Jerry's got him 0 5. How about home against Carolina that next week? Do I still have a hand-picked puppet for a head coach? Yes. Loss. <laughs> okay. <laughs> at Arizona. Uh, at Arizona. Hmm. Let's see. Mm. Well, are they playing us? Yes. Loss. <laughs> Home against Seattle? Is Rowdy still my mascot? Yes. Yep. Loss. <laughs> at Detroit. Has Q car blown out a knee yet? No, I hope Loss. not. <laughs> <laughs> At Indianapolis, uh, loss. Mm, gosh, zero and ten. Jacksonville at home. Ah, win. Really? Oh, no, no, no. Loss. Okay. Loss. Loss. <laughs> what about Washington at home? You own the Redskins. Washington at home. 
Uh, let's see. Hmm. Well, Washington is due, so loss for us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, home against San Francisco. You beat them this year. Am I still in charge of the draft? Yeah. yeah. Loss. Okay. <laughs> Royal loss. <laughs> At the Giants? This is a good one. I hope we uh, uh, do better this year than we've acted under the tree with that stocking up there with the Giants. <laughs> <laughs> so loss. Okay. <laughs> Uh, home against Philly. Well, we'll win this. I'm very optimistic again about this particular uh, one uh, late in the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some things in this world that will never die. Uh, my optimism, uh, Milton Berle. Uh, well, he just died, Jerry. Oh, then lost. <laughs> <laughs> what about closing the season at Washington? Well, you have to be specific here. They will be playing us, you're saying? Yes. Right. Give us a loss. <laughs> That's 0 16. Well, I'm just trying to beat my grinder to the punch. That's all. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Good morning. Well, thanks for joining right, us. We'll see Boy, that's uh, really disappointing. That is. I thought it said in the paper that he was uh, he was really happy with mm-hmm. the schedule, ready to roll with it. You know how bad I got criticized? Well, as you can tell from the schedule and some of the names, <laughs> that that was actually from like 15 years ago or. Longer than that, actually, because Quincy Carter was already gone by. So it was probably like 2002, something like that. Um, but that's from my favorite radio station, 1310 The Ticket. The voice of Jerry Jones was done by a guy named Gordon Keith, who, even if you don't live in Dallas, you can probably, uh, on YouTube, he interviews a bunch of celebrities and he kind of was doing what Zach Galifianakis did later, which is uh, Between Two Ferns. And Gordon Keith did, did several of those um, back, in, you know, ten, over 10 years ago. And one of them was was with Zach Galifianakis. So check that out on YouTube under the YouTube name Gordon Keith. You can find it there. So... Um, yeah, so what I would like to do is start with reading a prophecy in Isaiah because prophecies is one of the things uh, that is evidence for Jesus Christ and more uh, credence to the Bible. And Isaiah chapter 53 is a good one. I'm going to start with in verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Now I'll interject here that Jesus was, you know, whipped many times. So he had stripes uh, of, you know, whips on on his body when he's going to the cross. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. So, you know, we know Jesus would eventually die for the sins of the world. Now, this is in Isaiah. And if you need any evidence that this was written before Christ, you can ask the Jewish people who don't even accept Jesus as the Messiah. But they believe it was written hundreds of years before Jesus. Um, but they, I don't know what they think of these verses. Um, but anyway, in the New Testament, these are considered to be messianic prophecies. Um, verse 9, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many? For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So um, I believe this is specifically talking about Jesus. I think I heard uh, Rabbi Tovia Singer say that he wasn't convinced this was a messianic prophecy or, you know, he said, who is this talking about? But I don't know who else that they would say bore our sins. You know, I don't think Moses ever bore our sins. So, you know, or any of the great prophets in the Old Testament either. Uh, No other human could have done that. And so Jesus is the one that claims to have done that. So next, uh, I want to read from the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Now, in the book of Daniel, Daniel, who was a prophet during the uh, captivity in Babylon, um, and most of this chapter he is praying uh for forgiveness for his people because they they the reason they were in captivity is because of the sin of the people and daniel is crying out here um, i'm going to start start in verse 19 O lord hear O lord forgive O lord hearken and do defer not for thine own sake O my god for thy city and thy people are called by thy name And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sins and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, 
being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now, this is generally uh, accepted to be 70 weeks of years. So that's 490 years. And Israel was in captivity. Uh, I believe that this prophecy was around 500 B.C. Um, uh, I can't give you the exact year, but it was around that time. Um, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression and to make the an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring an everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So who is the finisher of transgressions? and makes the ends of sins, and makes reconciliation for iniquity. That's Jesus. 25, verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seventy weeks and threescore and two weeks. Seventy weeks and threescore. Threescore is sixty Oh, seven weeks. I'm sorry, seven weeks and three score and two weeks. So that's uh, 67, 69 weeks. Sorry, this King James. I should have picked another uh, more updated. Um, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. After... And after threescore and two weeks, so that's after 62 weeks, shall Messiah be cut off. Right? 62 weeks. Shall Messiah be cut off. That's Jesus. But not for himself and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even unto the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, uh, there's two uh, views on this. Um, Obviously, everyone agrees that the cutting off of Messiah after uh, 62 weeks, that is um, 62 times 7 years, which is 400, and I'm doing this off the top of my head, I believe it's 434 years, um, which I guess would be starting at the time, um, let's see, it says, the going forth of the commandment to restore, to build Jerusalem into the... 
So what happened, I guess, after sometime after this, it, the timeline goes up perfectly to uh, Jesus being crucified. And now there's discrepancies here on whether or not the final seven uh, or the final um, week is in the end times. Um, some people are preterists and believe that this was all fulfilled in 70 AD. And some of this sounds like that. It says um, when the, uh, you know, the uh, sacrifice an oblation to cease, which happened in 70 AD. Um, and yet some would suggest the abomination of desolation occurs in the future. Um, so there's some confusion there, but leading up to the Messiah, so there might be gaps at the end after the 62 weeks or after the 69 weeks. I'm not sure. I'm not a, uh, scholar on this but um i mean it's a little confusing to me but the the 62 weeks leading up to the messiah being cut off is accurate and this can be confirmed um now there's some uh suggestions that or or i guess you could say bible skeptics that say that daniel had to have been written later because nobody could predict this <laughs> and be that accurate. Okay, for some reason I'm having some glitches in my computer. And I apologize about that. Um, anyway, um, but I wanted to leave a uh, link for this, for Daniel, uh, for Mike Winger's video on Daniel. Because uh, he does some really good uh, research about the language that is used and proving that it, had to have been from you know hundreds of years before Christ now that's just some of the Old Testament prophecies of Jesus and there are many more but I just wanted to touch on that so prophecy I think is one evidence of Bible accuracy um, now next thing is the life of Christ and some people some skeptics have tried to claim that Jesus either wasn't real or a lot of things were made up about him later although <clears throat> a lot of secular or non non-christian or agnostic historians uh, the ma vast majority of them dispute this idea that Jesus was definitely a real historic person now most of them I don't think anybody would accept the resurrection unless they were you know, became a Christian, um, I mean, you would almost have to, right? <laughs> I mean, I suppose you can know that he was resurrected and still deny him. Um, but there's two people that I'm, I'm going to point out here. Uh, Josh McDowell, um, I'm going to do a lot of talking about him and Lee Strobel. And I don't know, I assume that they would have known, they know each other at some point because they're testimonies are very similar I think back in the 60s and 70s when they were in college uh, they were both or even later than that but they were both uh, agnostic or atheist and wanted nothing to do with Christianity and actually went about to try and disprove Jesus 
uh this is they uh, you know at the time they didn't know each other but um i don't what i meant was i wonder if they know each other now because their testimonies are so similar but at the time they were two separate living in two separate worlds or whatever and doing similar things and leading uh trying to disprove jesus through the evidence and in the process they both became christians now i mentioned this earlier in um i think it was episode one where i said i give the holy spirit credit when i was doubting or my faith was challenged and i asked god to prove that he was real or show me that he was real because otherwise i'd rather live for myself and yes, I'm bringing up all of this evidence, but again, I give all the credit to the Holy Spirit. And I think the same thing is true with them, because I think many other people have done the same thing and, and didn't believe. And so, you know, that's kind of a mystery to me of why and when the Holy Spirit, um, you know, decides to intervene in people's lives or show them and when he doesn't. And maybe... You know, I, I don't want to speculate on people's hearts because I don't know anybody else's heart. But is it possible that maybe their hearts are just hardened and they don't want to hear the truth? I don't know. Now, I acknowledge that I didn't want to want to know that the Bible was true. I didn't want to believe it. But I acknowledged I acknowledge that I confess that even to God. I said, God, I'd rather live for myself. But. I more than that, I wanted to know what the truth was. So maybe I don't know. I I'm just speculating here, but I do believe the Holy Spirit is what convinced me and Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel and everybody else that's gotten saved. So I just wanted to, to point that out. Um, first of all, I would like to reference a book by Josh McDowell called New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And I think his son, Sean McDowell, has continued the ministry. Um, I haven't checked if uh, what the status of Josh McDowell is these days, but Sean is, is more active these days. Um, but I would recommend getting this book called The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Just a really thick book. It's like an encyclopedia of resources that gives historical evidence for Jesus Christ. And um, and now I'm going to and I would like to place a clip of Josh McDowell's testimony, not the whole thing, just a clip of it. Hi, I'm Josh McDowell, and uh, I'm sure glad you were all able to come out uh, tonight. And what I want to do is just share briefly on one aspect of truth that I sure tried to refute. Kind of the background for what I share here was when I was a student in university, I ran into some professors and students whose lives were really different. And I remember one day I was sitting in the dormitory with them, and I asked them the question, I said, what makes your lives so differently? And this one young lady looked at me and just said, Jesus Christ. And I just laughed. I thought that was a joke. And I said, don't give me that garbage. I'm fed up with religion, the church, the Bible, everything. And then I couldn't forget that these professors and students right there challenged me as a pre-law student, now get this, to intellectually, to use my mind to examine the claims of Christ 
as the Son of God, and the Bible is the Word of God. Well, I thought that was a joke, because I really thought that most Christians had two brains. One was lost, and the other was out looking for it. I really believed that. But uh, they kept kind of irritating me with it all the time. And I remember I was at a water fountain, one of the professors said to me, What's the matter, young man? Aren't you willing to be intellectually honest? That was it. I said, okay, I'll accept your challenge. But I didn't do it to prove anything. I did it to refute them. And the whole background of my first book, The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict, was to write a book against Christianity. I figured any fool could do that, and I'd qualify. And I left the university and traveled throughout the United States, England, the Middle East, gathering the evidence to write the book, and I had a problem. When I returned to the university, intellectually, I became convinced that the Bible was true and that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. I'd come to the exact opposite conclusion of what I set out to prove. And one of the areas that I really knew that if I could refute it, I had my case won. And I could look those Christian professors and students right in the eyes and put them down with a clear conscience. And that's when it came to the Bible. I really thought this was a book written years after the time of Christ, way into the second century, and what people didn't like, they took out. What they did like, they added to it. And it looked like a mess put together by a committee. And I figured an intelligent, rational approach to it would totally satisfy my mind and refute it. Was I ever surprised? And what I'd like to do is, in our time together, is just share with you some of the things that I found as an individual as I set out to write my book against the scriptures, and I ended up not only acknowledging the scriptures as what I believe now is God's word, but I also ended up becoming a Christian against everything that I believed. So now I would like to uh, reference you to a book called The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict, written by Josh McDowell. This is the through the research that he was actually trying to disprove Christianity and the Bible and Jesus, and in, in turn actually ended up becoming a Christian, and this all became evidence for the Bible. And what I would, this is, um, what I would like to do is read this user's guide, because it's, it, there's so much information in here, I, I don't know what to pick out, so I'm just going to read this. Uh, this user's guide at the beginning of the book by Bill Wilson, Revision Project Editor. Warning, this is a dangerous book. Digesting its context may s contents may seriously alter your thinking. Caution, if you expect this book to be a tame, sit-down-by-the-fire-with-a-cup-of-hot-chocolate kind of book, you'd better reconsider. As the ideas begin to flow you may find yourself looking for a pen and notebook to jot down ideas for that next time you want to share with a friend some compelling evidence for the truth of the good news about Jesus Christ. Now wait just a minute, you, you say. Me? Share compelling evidence? I only sat down to read a book. Well, you need to know that these are some of Josh McDowell's personal lecture notes, and when you see the force of the arguments... You just might want to do some sharing of your own. One of Josh's greatest motivations for compiling evidence that demands a verdict, volumes 1 and 2, in the first place was to equip others with organized, documented information they can use to share Christ credibly with others. In this revision and update of both volumes, 
now brought together in one volume, you will find more up-to-date evidence for your faith than ever before. Here is a vast amount of user-friendly material which could take some time to digest. If you're a person who likes big challenges and you want to fortify your faith and witness with every fact you can get, by all means, start reading and don't look back. More than likely, though, you will require different information at different times and for different purposes. As a layperson, high school student, college student, or full-time Christian worker, you may have limited time, possibly you may have not yet entered into a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ and are looking for some answers to your own questions. Whatever your situation, a few tips from this user's guide can save you time in locating the specific material you need. So that's just, uh, there's some more to this, but um, I thought I would read that. This thing is really thick. It's over... 700 pages long uh it has a huge bibliography of references and things and it's just full of information i haven't even dug all the way through this thing but i would really recommend it for uh if you want to research the study of evidence for the bible i think most of this is about the New Testament, but I think he gets into Old Testament stuff as well. So that is Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Now I would like to quickly kind of go through some of the things that I recall that are easier for me to grasp. And I'll try to explain to you what I heard. He talked about the question of whether or not what we have today is what was originally written down because some people suspect that through translations and copies and editing and all this stuff that we don't have or we don't know exactly what was originally written now he said that if you take the same approach of any book in history uh, we have enough evidence more than enough evidence than any other book uh, to back up that what we have is what was written down in the first place and the copies the earliest copies are much closer to the original date we have copies from the first century of eyewitness testimony um, and also he mentioned that you can rewrite the entire New Testament from other sources so people that wrote about Jesus or, or uh, things that quoted scripture, you can find every passage in the New Testament with the exception of a few verses, I think, that uh, you can put together from other books that quote the Bible. And these are from, you know, very early historical first century, second century authors. So his argument and you he he will explain it better than i do but basically that we have what was written down and then his second question is the question uh was what if what was written down is actually true and he said that you know because if even if we have what was written down he could care less that we have 
have it <laughs> because if it's not true, who cares if we have it? So one of the biggest questions is the resurrection of Jesus. Now, we have historians from that period, even non-Christian historians, so secular historians, talk about these eyewitnesses of Jesus, these disciples of Jesus going to de- uh, dying for their faith and proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There, are, there were other people that were persecuting them that told them to stop saying that Jesus resur- raised from the dead. Now here's my question, and, and here's a, a valid question that he asked that make, made me think and is really a, uh, an interesting point. Why would they die for something? Okay, a lot of people die for things they believe in. But why would you die for something if you claim to be an eyewitness testimony or, or be an eyewitness to the death and resurrection of Jesus uh, if it was a lie? Now, some suspect that they hallucinated, <laughs> that they all collectively hallucinated Christ. Now, in hallucinations, it's usually unique for different people. You, you usually don't have mass uh, hallucinations. I hope I'm explaining this correctly, but I'm just trying to explain to you some of the things that I heard. So what you have is a whole bunch of people that were eyewitnesses of the death and resurrection of Jesus that ended up dying for what they believed in. And not just believed in, that they witnessed. You know, um, it's, it's one thing for hundreds of years later for people to be dying for what they believed in that didn't witness it. But we have testimony from the first century, whether it be in the Bible or extra-biblical texts of secular historians saying, yes, this was a follower of Jesus that died for what he believed in, that, you know, proclaiming to his death that Jesus rose from the dead. And so that is one of the strong points that Josh McDowell makes. And I know there's so much more in here that I can't really get to today. Uh, But I would like to do a little bit more and talk about Lee Strobel and the case for Christ. But before I do, I would like to play a song that I recorded from John chapter 1. Oh uh-huh. 
Necessarily a polished record uh, songwriter producer, but I like the uniqueness of my music. Since I don't know what I'm doing, it comes out kind of unique, and uh, that's kind of the music I enjoy. So um, I like the way it turned out. Um, I'm sure it could be better, but uh, I don't really have it on iTunes or anything. Um, but it is on my YouTube channel called Truth Transistor Radio. If you want to check that out. Um, so now I want to talk about Lee Strobel. Now, I first discovered Lee Strobel on, on a Christian movie that came out in the theaters that I saw. Now, I'm usually not really into Christian movies. Most of them are kind of cheesy. I know that's kind of bad to say. And it's touching for a lot of people. And, and I know they're touching. I actually cried at one. <laughs> but they're not really my kinds of movies in terms of enjoyment uh, I suppose that they can help a lot of people and uh, you know shows somewhat of a Christian perspective and and uh, make you think uh, on those things which is good and it's better than watching rated R kind of you know movies that are about negative things or sinful things or whatever you know the propagandas are these days but this one is a movie I actually enjoy, and it's called The Case for Christ. And he actually wrote a book a while ago. I don't know what year. I've got it right here. 
It's, uh, well, I don't see a date on it. Here we go. Okay, it says 1998. Oh, 1973 is the first uh, earliest copy. But the one I have is from 1998. Um, I have not read it yet. I have a bunch of books that I have at home, but I haven't read this one yet. But I have seen the movie. Uh, and what I would like to do is play the trailer for you. If somebody wanted to do an investigation to Christianity, where would you start? If the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, it's a house of cards. You sure you want to give me that loaded gun? I'm pretty sure you're not going to be able to pull the trigger. I've spent my entire career as a journalist uncovering the truth. Until the day my wife presented me with the biggest story of my life. I'm not going to lose my wife and my kids to something that I can't even reason with. And what happened next changed me forever. How can we even talk about historical evidence for the resurrection? The Gospels are filled with contradictions. The empty tomb is based on evidence. And isn't evidence your trade? We all bet our lives on something. The question is, What's it going to be? As much as I would like to help out a fellow skeptic, what you're proposing is impossible. Could Jesus survive being spiked to the cross? There is no evidence of anyone ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. Just because I write something down and I bury it in the dirt, it doesn't make it true. What I felt was something more real than anything I've ever felt in my life. I'm praying for you. Do you really want to know the truth, or is your mind already made up? Stop blaming me and the church and God and do your job. ever proven if the shroud is the actual burial cloth of the Christ. But whenever someone looks in those eyes for the first time, suddenly becomes a real person. So, yes, a great movie. I recommend seeing that. I'll leave a link in the description uh, for this podcast, ep- for this episode. And I love this movie. Really good. Now, what is the point of all this? So I've talked about, I've given you references for evidence of the Bible and for uh, the life of Jesus. And what happens then? What happens when if you come to know that the Bible is true and believe that the Bible is true? It's important to know what the Bible says. And I would encourage you to read it for yourself But I'm going to kind of summarize. Uh, As far as translations, I don't have a strong uh, view. I know what the conservative Christians say. Um, There's some that are staunchly King James only. I am not. That is an older English. Um, But as far as the newer translations, the ones that I've heard that are more respectable are the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Version, the New King James Version. Uh, There might be some other good ones. Um, The Greek Septuagint translation of the Old Testament. um, 
is a good resource. But the ones I mentioned, the NIV is a paraphrase. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a terrible translation, but but it's not really a translation. Um, so I'm not an expert in language, but I know that there are some bad translations out there. So the ones that I mentioned are probably the safer ones to get an idea of the gospel and the truth. But to sum it up, as I had mentioned before, the creation, uh, everything was created by, by the Most High God. And, the, and God is a trinity, three persons, one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He created man in his own image, and man sinned against him. The first man and first woman sinned. And that sin is genetically passed down to each of us, and we are born with that sin nature. And God demands perfection. You know, we have to be perfect basically to get to heaven, but no one is perfect. The God, the, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's God the Son, S-O-N, not S-U-N, and that's a twisting by mystery religions, and I'll get into that later, but uh, God the Son, S-O-N, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, what does that mean? We have all, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Now, the physical part of us will die. I believe that the first man and woman were created to live forever, but after they sinned, they were now destined to die. Their bodies would then fall apart. And what we have um, is a situation, but we also have a, a spirit. Um, and the spirit is, or the soul, uh, exists in a spiritual world. And, uh, it's, it's debatable. There's different views on, okay, where are the souls of, of the dead now? Are they waiting for the resurrection or are they conscious somewhere at this moment in time? You know, there's a parable in, uh, I don't know if it's a parable or not, but it's uh, Jesus talks about a uh, rich man and Lazarus, who is a beggar. And the beggar was asking the rich man for money and the, and the, the rich man turned him down and ignored him. But when they died, it was uh, Lazarus was in paradise with the righteous and the rich man was in a... Uh, I don't know if it's Hades or, or, you know, he was in a terrible place and there was a gulf between the two of them. And my view is that these are, this is the waiting place for the dead. Um, I, I don't think it's the eternal state of things because in Revelation 21, towards the end of the Bible, after the resurrection, after the final judgment, there will be no more sin, no more death, no more suffering 
And so I don't think we can have no more of that if we can see the lost across the gulf. I mean, I just have a hard time grasping that. So I think that's a waiting place. And there's going to be a resurrection. There's actually going to be two resurrections, one for the righteous and then one for the rest of the dead. And then there's the final judgment. And then there's the gift of eternal life with the resurrected bodies. And the ones that are not written in the book of life, that is those who are not, have not believed, did not believe in Christ for remission of sins, will be cast into the lake of fire and will uh, not have eternal life. Um, now, this is probably the only position that I have, um, not that I've mentioned yet, but what I'm about to say that is not part of fundamental Christianity. This is not a big point. I'm not trying to convince anybody of this, but the fundamental Christianity believes that an eternal conscious torment for those who are lost. I believe in the lake of fire. I think the Bible is clear about that, and I believe that they will suffer but I believe that they will die. They will cease to exist. But um, I might get in trouble for that. But that's a view. It's called annihilation um, or conditional immortality is the name of that. Um, but for some whatever reason, that's never been accepted in fundamental Christianity. I, as far as I know, that's the only position that I hold that is not accepted within fundamental Christianity. But I think it is... There is a biblical argument for it. But anyway, the point is that we have um, sin. We're born with this sin. And the only way for eternal life, the only way for salvation is in Jesus Christ. This is the message of the Bible. In the Old Testament, uh, you know, they had a lamb sacrifice from the very beginning. After Adam and Eve sinned, their son Abel you see in Genesis chapter 4, I believe, sacrificing a lamb. In Leviticus 1, uh, when they're building the tabernacle, um, there is a, the first thing you see as you enter in is a lamb, uh, altar for a lamb sacrifice or the animal sacrifices. And it says specifically in Leviticus 1, this will be as an atonement for you. In John chapter 1, John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't know if that's chapter 1, but it's in John. And G he sees Jesus. So he's calling Jesus the Lamb of God. So the, the Lamb sacrifices in the Old Testament was symbolic of Jesus. You know, an animal sacrifice, an animal cannot give you remission of sins. But what the animal represented, which was God the Son, who would eventually come down and pay, die on the cross for all of our sins. So this is the message summed up in the Bible. And it's about, you know, uh, restitution. It's about justification. And it's to show us that if we tried to trust in our own works, the law, which is in the Old Testament, it tells us to obey, and the law is good. But if you're depending on trying to obey the law for salvation, you, you will fall short. All fall short 
of the glory of God. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to obey, obey God. It doesn't mean that. It just means that if you're depending on that for salvation, you will fall short. So the only way of salvation is to allow Christ to pay the penalty for you and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will. And this is, this is the most important message that I have in all of my podcasts, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've presented to you some basic um, resources in the first hit. This is episode six. Um, so in these first six uh, episodes, or starting in episode two, because the first one was just my, you know, me summarizing my experience and testimony. So I hope uh, these resources are helpful to you and maybe interesting. And uh, I would encourage you to look those up because what I'm doing here on the podcast is very basic. But I'm pointing you to the direction of those things which have influenced me. Uh, And also, I encourage you and I hope to hear from you if you want to ask me any questions or comment on anything or disagree with anything that I've said send me an email at truthtransistorradio at gmail.com, and I'd love to hear from you. Uh, so this, pod, this episode was about evidence for Jesus, um, but it was probably a little bigger than that, the whole Bible. Um, and the next one we'll, we will start talking about the kingdom of Satan. So thank you and have a wonderful day. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hedrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 16 18. Pride goeth before destruction. <laughs>